When you wrote Lethal, did you actually, when you were done, did you kind of throw it in the garbage? No, I threw it in the in the garbage halfway through. And, you know, halfway. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would go online and agree that maybe it should have stayed there. No. But I just had nothing else to do. I thought, I can't write. I'm an imposter. Uh, no good at this. The beginning of your career. Yeah. I yeah. tried to try, but it's just, you know what? I, I don't even know where to go with this. So just give up. And then the fact that it was still there. <laughs> you know, it speaks more not to my diligence in getting the script. It's just how long before I change the garbage. You know? Exactly. Hey, everybody. Pioneer screenwriter known for his witty dialogue and clever plot twists. Shane Black is on the pod, everybody. Hold for a round of applause. Here it is. Okay. How you doing, man? Thank you very much for being on the pod. <coughs> No, it's how long have we uh, known each other now? About 20 years? Yes, a very, very long time. And you've been very supportive of this podcast and other things that I have done. And I want to thank you right off the bat with that. Oh, no. Is that, yeah, hey, it's okay, man. So, yep. yeah, so that, I'll You're done. See you later. You're all done. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Shane Black. By the way, yeah. so <clears throat> let me just talk a little bit about some of Shane's credits here, okay? They tend to have titles in the middle of the alphabet. They go from like I to N. You notice this about your? I'm gonna tell you. I have, no, I didn't. Watch this. I hope you didn't I, lose sleep. I lost sleep. Up I, this. Iron Man 3, writer, director. Uh, K, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, writer, director. M, Monster Squad, writer. L, Last Boy Scout, Last mm. Action Hero, Long Kiss Goodnight, Lethal Weapon 1, Lethal Weapon 2, and The Nice Guys, writer, director. Everything in there. There's gotta be one you missed. Yeah, well, Jay was uh, well, Joe actually, Dick. You have grateful acknowledgement on my movie, but yes, those are just a few of your movies. You have other movies, obviously. You have Predator, you have a lot of other movies you've done, but. No, but you're right. You stick you in know. that middle for some reason. I don't know what it is. Like you're, you're stuck right there. Well, there's Monster Squad too. That's what I said, Monster Squad. Well, you, I think you went straight to N. Well, I think I did M, I think Monster Squad before I did L. I messed up. Oh. But it doesn't matter. Okay. I threw N, it's right there. It's like that sweet spot. And that's not conscious. I wasn't aware that there was any kind of underlying order to that. Well, but yeah. I'm well, happy to take upon myself the idea yeah, yeah. that that was all brewing. Because I think so much of what you do, you do without thinking about it. Someone says, you know, in your story here, it's this character's named Forrest and this character's name's Dell. And you go, no, I didn't do that on purpose. And they go, maybe I did do that on purpose. See, I think you did. Because the sub... Conscious. Yes. I work? think your next flick, if, I, if I'm if i correct with everything, would be called The Nice, Long Last, Lethal, Iron Kiss, Goodnight Scout. <laughs> okay, follow me here. It's it's a uh, it's a buddy dog cop movie right? about two unlikely breeds that are forced to work together to find out who's been pooping in their backyard. And, wait, 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 wait. No, no, one. because you can't say that on the podcast because normally we would talk and you'd say that and I would just steal that outright. <laughs> But it's now great. it's on record and I can't do it. Yeah, you can. It's like one dog has amnesia, right? The other one is like reckless and suicidal. <laughs> and uh, their boss is like, the captain's like a cantankerous old cat who's like, keeps saying, I'm too old for this shit. And he licks himself. All right, maybe it's not a movie there, but it's an idea I have for the future. Speaking of ideas for the future, I yes. mean, how are things? How's the podcast going? It's going very well, except right now, Catalina, Ekaterina, I should say cat. She's dealing with the uh, Instagram deleted her 1.1 million person account, her followers they deleted it. And she can't get it. So now she's dealing with all that stuff right now. So that's why she's not here today. If not, she wouldn't be there. Why uh, would they know. delete that? I don't no. know. I don't know. And sometimes I know people who have 
who go through this every once in a while, but usually gets reinstated within like a few days, but this has been like five, six days now. So it's- And it's who do you hassle. call? Yeah, it's... You can't call Ghostbusters. But speaking of, I want to start with uh, Iron Man 3 because it's um, one of the biggest movies. Mm. Tell me something about that movie that nobody knows. You haven't told <laughs> anybody on anything at all. It could be about directing, it could be about writing, it could be about Downey. There was at one point a car chase that got cut for budget. Where really? He's wearing his iron boot because he doesn't have his whole suit. It got trapped, but a couple pieces got away. So okay. he's got his iron boot on. And there's a scene through the downtown Miami where he's sort of driving and the cops are chasing him, smashes his foot through the floor of the car and uses the propulsor in his boot mm. to pop the car up into the air and over another car. Sounds great. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, look, we got a lot of action in the movie. <laughs> We got a lot. It's it's a lot of action in this action movie. You know, in retrospect, it's it's probably right that we just kept it tight and kept it moving as opposed because the problem with an action scene in a movie is if you can lift it and nothing changes. Mm. Um, no matter how exciting or interesting visually a scene is, there's usually a problem if the action scenes are interchangeable. Meaning, oh, we could take the boats. We could always do the boat sequence here and then move the other one onto the bus here. If that's the case, or if you could just lift one wholesale out of the movie and have it still make sense, it probably means you're stopping the story and the character. Say, and now the action. And then, hmm. and now we go back to our character and story. Interesting. So yeah, that's, it's not a good sign. Was that one of the hardest scenes to direct? Do you, what is the, what was the hardest scene? Was it from Iron Man 3? Was it from another movie? What was the hardest scene that you ever had to direct? The hardest things are always when you're stitching something together. Oh. If you get to do, do it all in one place. <clears throat> but the problem is if, you know, the stairs here lead up to a door and then you go through the door, but the place you enter is actually 50 miles away in another place entirely. And then the bottom half of the screen is him doing this and the top half you have to stitch in and create yeah. digitally. And so it's just keeping in your head all the pieces that need to come together. Whereas people assume if they see a scene, a guy right. goes upstairs in an apartment Same building. Place, yeah. And, yeah, it's just- But it's not often. Well, it's not. And also even within a scene, you look up too often and there's just a big piece of green. And if you ever see the Marvel movies behind the scenes, some of them are just, I mean, you know, it's as if it's a, it's a comedy, you know, making fun of superhero movie. There's a guy standing on a car, a wooden box with, you know, a big band around his head with goggles and the letter H for Hulk, you know, and there's three other guys dancing around him, you know, in suits with X's on them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the set is a railing, a set of stairs and the bottom half of some sort of tower. Right. <laughs> and everything else is just jumping around. Because like, you know. it's all going to be filled in post. Yeah. You work with Downey on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and then again on Iron Man 3. Any difference in <clears throat> Downey from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang to Iron Man? He was pretty assured on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. In fact, he, he lit up, didn't he? Oh my gosh, so much. So, but there was something about him I did notice on Iron Man. He was able to completely embrace himself as a as a full-fledged, top-of-his-game movie star. Wow. Um, I would say he did the same thing on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but it was just so much more noticeable at a big budget that yeah. this guy just handles all these yeah. pressures without any flinching whatsoever. I'm happy to take credit for the great stuff that he provides. So if he would go away <laughs> at night and come back and say, you know, we have a scene written, but what if we added this? And he's take the, like the little kid Ty Simpkins aside yep, yep. and they'd Ty, great. And they'd add a little bit, which took like a minute and just wove it in and said, this is the story. This is the beat. How about we do this little bit of dialogue? It takes about a minute and they'd show it and go, yep, let's do that. And then 
happy to take the credit. Right. The dialogue shows character. It forwards, it forwards a story. It's funny, whatever right. it is. I guess that's what I'm saying is with Downey, no matter what he does, he's always in the character thinking yeah. ahead. He's not sculpting the movie from an outside perspective saying, you know, what's going to sell necessarily. He's thinking, you know, what would this guy do that would be entertaining, but that is so true to the arc that we're, that we're traversing to. This is so true to the uh, character we're attempting mm -hmm. here. And uh, he's an immersive actor in that regard. You've heard people say he is Tony Stark. Yeah. He is Tony Stark. You, you can see <clears throat> him so comfortable in it. People that I find in your movies that can actually do comedy and drama both easily. Like there are true actors that, a lot of them just very <clears throat> dramatic actors and you see them in any kind of drama, they're like, they're amazing. Comedies, they're good. But there are other actors like Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson or Downey who are so equal as far as how great they are as a dramatic actor mm -hmm. as they are as a, as a comedic, comedic actor. actor. And I find that with, with them, they, they can, they really s seem to bring out uh, your dialogue even like they give it that last little bit of a... You look for someone who's going to heighten the material. Um, I always say that too about casting, which is that there's certain things you get what you, you get what you pay for. There's an actor who does a certain thing. They act a certain way and they're the tough guy. Yes. And they, you know, whoever it is. It's Robert Mitchell. Pick an action star. Yeah, and yeah. you pay for that. And yeah. they come on, you say, we got this guy. He, You know him, he does the... Rrr, 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 rrr. Yeah. And then he comes on set and goes, there it is. That's, it's not a surprise, but that's what you paid for. Exactly. You didn't want it, exactly. you don't pay for it. And he gives you what you want, what you knew to be there. What always excited me more was the notion of hiring an actor like Robert Downey and kind of know what you're going to get, but you don't know. And you yeah. just know it's going to be great. And you, yeah. I'm waiting as well as an audience would. It's great. To say, what's he, okay, what are you, what's he going to do with this? I mean... These big actors, they don't read. They don't go in an audition. You just offer them the role. Right. And with him, it was like, okay, I'm game. What's he going to do with this? As opposed to, I know what this is going to look like. Right. And it's crazy about him also because Tony Stark is a little bit smirky. He has those kinds of little qualities that other superheroes don't have. Maybe Hulk has it, but like other ones are very, you know, but he <clears throat> he does that so, so well. You know what I'm saying? And well, that's why. Yeah. There's a certain arch deadpan quality to Tony Stark's humor. Yeah. I think what's what's notable about it is Robert Downey doesn't have to try. No. So it seems like effortless. It's not effortless. It's not. But but the more it seems it, the harder he is to work to, to get to be like that. Yeah. But it becomes, it gives the appearance of an effortless uh, yes. character like a, that doesn't need to make a joke. He just tosses it off. He's a, right. A and he's also sides. a great reactor. He's yes. He's a reactor. So yes. someone does something in front of him, his reactions are going to be priced. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He also, if you remember, he gave, uh, he, I think he told you when I was in Nice Guys as a stand-up and I had the microphone stand, the first couple takes was mm -hmm. holding the microphone stand. And then he said, you came up to, he said, uh, Downey, uh, <clears throat> he says, you're, you're fucking the microphone stand with your hand. And uh, you told me to stop. So not use the <coughs> microphone stand. Like, oh, okay. So, uh, cause I was like doing this. And yeah. Stuff he came me. by one yeah. night. Yeah. That's right. He was at, yeah. we were at the comedy store. Yeah, I kind of remember that. I don't yeah. remember the specific advice he gave you, but that makes sense. Something like that. I yes. think you were doing that. Yeah, yeah. I think because I, I was. Everyone was, was a, talking about it. I was doing this as I was talking, you know. But then apparently it was attracting his attention, so he said, "Yeah, you know, tell." You know. He wasn't the first to notice. It was pretty much the talk of the club for like weeks, for, weeks yeah. after. Yeah, I saw it on the when I walked in front. It was on the, <laughs> on the big marquee. Yeah, the marquee. It's like, yeah. why are they doing this? Upstairs in heaven, you know, <laughs> making God laugh by jerking off the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> As I knew, get the your new script. No, okay. But they always have when a comedian dies. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. making right. God laugh. Yes, exactly. Oh yeah. my God, I see it all the time at the Laugh Factory. Yeah, you're right. They do that. Uh, let's jump back to Lethal Weapon, like one of your first movies that actually got made, but it wasn't your first script, though. Am I correct? The first script I wrote was about mummified 
corpses. Well, that one. Of soldiers who are brought home from Vietnam okay. that come back to life. It was this social polemic. It's, it's silly, really. I grew up during the Vietnam War. Okay. Uh, 75, I was probably, you know, what is it, 10, 12 years old. I'll and, take that. Uh, they find these corpses in a temple. It's this missing unit called Shadow Company. Oh. And they were like the best of the best, but they were the daredevils who said, you know, we can't die. Well, they did die. Oh. <laughs> but they went to this, managed to stumble into this temple with mystical powers in the middle of a jungle. And so when their corpses are brought home, they come back to life and start collecting weapons and go on a rampage. Oh. As a bad they, guys then? They're the bad guys. Well, they don't know they're bad. They oh. dress up as soldiers they get they're in a facility where mm -hmm. there's plenty of outfits available although well, you don't have the scene of them trying things on like, <laughs> how do i look <laughs> are these pants too big on me yeah <laughs> my hips look big <laughs> <laughs> but then they could they go out and they're basically have skeletal faces oh. leering mummified faces and i thought a squadron of skeleton soldiers mummy soldiers would be a fun way to sort of comment on you know what it what yeah. it means when the violence comes home never got made John Carpenter was going to make it. And, uh, and the thing and others. Oh, no, he's, he's Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. Yeah. This one, obviously, this guy. John Carpenter has been around forever, and he's always been a big influence on me. You know, little movies that are sort of masterful in their own way, like They Live. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Wow. So um, that was the first one you had done. That was the first one. John was going to he was going to make it. And it didn't happen budget-wise or something at Universal. They just they didn't want to spend the money. Hmm. But we got to develop the script and talk about it and plan it. It's just their appetite for that sort of thing at the budget it would require. And this is back when we're, we're saying we can do it for 15 and they're saying, <laughs> no, we'll only have 12 for you. It's wow. like, yeah, it's it's really amazing. Once you're done hiring your actors, you're at 90 million. You haven't turned on the camera yet. You know? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So now Lethal, when you wrote Lethal, did you actually, when you were done, did you kind of throw it in the garbage? No, I threw it in the in the garbage halfway through and you know halfway. i'm sure there's a lot of uh, people out there who would go online and agree that maybe it should have stayed there no but i just had nothing else to do i thought i can't write i'm an imposter uh, no good at this the beginning of your career yeah i yeah. try to try but it's just you know what I, I don't even know where to go with this so just give up and then the fact that it was still there <laughs> you know, it, it speaks more not to my diligence in getting the script it's just how long before i change the garbage you know? <laughs> exactly but exactly. <laughs> I did say, I just can't start something else. I might as well finish it. I, I cast around for like a week wow. and said, where can I, where can I go next? I said, I just have to finish it, I guess. I uh, finished it, thought there were good things in it. Didn't expect it to sell. There's a period where you go through where while I'm writing, I think this is shit. Sometimes it is really, but at some point something switches on or switches off and you sort of get it in front of you in a way that, okay, this is still shit, but it's not as bad as it could be. It was something strange happens. You sell it, they start to talk about making it, they want to cut a scene, you go, no, no, that's good, that has to stay. <laughs> Wait, I thought it was shit about a month ago. Right. I, I reconsidered, that has to stay. And uh, Did you do rewrites after it was sold? We had to accommodate certain, you know, the budget of the first one was over the top and the, the action was way big. I mean, I think what we got to eventually the action is still big, but it felt grounded and the other was a kitchen sink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the first draft of Lethal Weapon, there's a whole subplot with a crooked cop named Lou Parrish. And it turns out he was behind the betrayal of this and that. They got Murtaugh kidnapped. And so at the end, Riggs confronts him. And I thought, you know, like I said earlier on the show, if, yeah, but if we lifted that out. Right, right, right. We could actually wow. still have a movie. And it did pretty good, didn't it? 
kind of well, a franchise, right? <clears throat> Jeez. It was uh, a credit in every way to the, the late director, Richard Donner. Richard Donner, yeah. Who saw it not as just a sort of French Connection style doom and gloom piece, but saw it, there's a little potential in there for this mixture, this tonal mixture of lightheartedness and sort of warmth yep. and a sense of redemption coupled with the grittier scenes, which he didn't compromise too much, which right. I liked. You know, the scene where they kidnapped the poor man's daughter and they're going to kill her, the stakes are so high. And they didn't really sugarcoat that. And yeah, it didn't feel uneven in tone either, the way he was able to do the whole no, movie. he actually made a genre picture that held together and became, I think, a template for three more movies. It did, actually. Yeah. Which I think went too far. Really? I think they broke the balance and went into the comedy direction. They, yes. They started doing, hey, Joe Pesci, hey, Joe Pesci on the show. And they, you know, they started, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> By the end, you know, it's like this movie where half the movie in Lethal Four is like, yeah, you son of a bitch, fuck you, I'm going to cut you after, boom, 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 fuck off, piss off, you know. And then they're all having babies. Right. So it's like, oh, look, she's having a baby. Fuck you, motherfucker. You know, it's like, what is going on? It's it's the kind-heartedest uh, blood fest you've ever seen. Did you actually kill off old Gibson's character in the first <clears throat> one? Did you try to kill him off? No, in the second one. In the second one, you tried yeah. to kill him off. And the studio uh, well, was like... Because, uh... <laughs> see, to me, sequels are problematic because you want the audience to believe, well, of course there's more story to tell. But if you're good at what you purport to do, then you've already brought him to that. You choose, when you do a TV show, there's always a next episode, right? True. But when you do a movie, you're supposed to pick the starting point as the most significant moment in that character's life. That's why we're here. That's why we start here. And then run with it. So then you expend that, you finish, and then you say, how do we make it look like there's another story that fits with that that we meant to tell? We were just kidding, but you know, actually this is a longer story <laughs> as opposed to just you know, contriving something to keep it going. I thought, well, you know, he gets this <clears throat> borrowed time briefly where he's given up on life and then you know, he's given an interaction with and a, an introduction to a family of a very warm, loving family that embraces him and actually gives him a sense of true forgiveness. And, uh, but then they get in trouble again and he realizes, you know, to save people I love, that was my borrowed time. That was my extra. And I got a gift that was better than anything I could have expected. A period of time when I would be dead, reinvigorated and convinced me that life has something beyond the cruelty that I'd been you know, exposed to. So now it's time for me to die. But I had a wonderful bit of borrowed right. time in the middle there. And but the studio I knew, loved that idea, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> no, when I said to them, don't you see, it's the, <laughs> it's the piper come to, for his payment. It's right. the, that reprieve come due now. And they said, well, what we call it is sending away the bread truck. You know? <laughs> so, so you guys are on different pages there. I see. But I didn't, yeah, I just thought it would be, it felt appropriate. I don't. The studio ended up making it mint with that second one, and I, you know, I'm, they they made the right choice. Yeah, I, well, from that, financially, yeah, yeah. sure, financially, yeah. Has your style of writing changed from you know Shadow Company, you know, Lethal mm. Weapon, to now? It hasn't changed except in a, in a way that I would consider not fortunate. Oh, which is to say that you know, when I wrote before, it was unfettered. Stuff would get in there and have to be cut later, but you know, I was just just. Like I said, kitchen sink and youthful exuberance, enthusiasm right. shining out the eyes. When I wasn't kicking myself with imposter syndrome, yes, there was that sense that wow, you know, we're stacking this up, we're loading it. And now I think 
once you've been in the director's seat and you see what comes and goes and what costs this much and does, you start to do that oh, horrible wow. thing of self-editing. Yeah. And the problem with that is it's a cynical place to work from. It's yes. A, it seems like it's going to inhibit you. You're going to acquiesce to things that haven't happened yet. Yeah. Because you're anticipating obstacles. And you're going to be directing it also. So you're already, you know, yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. You just have to police scripts a lot more. You know, if there's a joke that's particularly interesting and fits the character, but then you think, well, some people might find this offensive. May not feel offensive, but your mind is going to who would think so? What's the perception? To the extent that you're editing for content and budget, as opposed to just flying forward, I think there's been a reduction in that. Maybe next one you just do it like you did the other ones and not even think no, about it. No, it can't happen. It's like you used to write on a typewriter. And Oh, yes. Yes. You did for how, When did you stop with the typewriter and start with the laptop? Um, in the middle of Long Kiss Goodnight. I was still working on a typewriter. But the point of it is, once you go onto a computer, even if the typewriter seemed to produce great results, but you, you can't go back and say, I'm going to do it the way I used to. Right. Because now you know that you don't have to do this. You know there's a better alternative. As you're using your whiteout yeah. <laughs> to erase a little mistake. <laughs> but that also now leads me into my next question, because technology and AI, can I just go there and say, you know, hey, here's all these Shane Black scripts. Write me a new one. They're going to be like, yes, welcome to the nice, long-last, lethal <laughs> yeah, Iron yeah. Kiss Goodnight. What's going to happen? I don't know, man, because you've experimented. Maybe some people out there have experimented with ChatGPT. ChatGPT, sure. And, um, you know, you ask it, tell me a joke. Write me a joke about a priest, a dog, and a blind man. The results are usually not knee slappers. It's like a C, C minus yeah. in, in the jokes when they do that. So the question is, how better is it going to get? How much more witty? Well, at least C+. But it's also the nuance that when you write scripts, it's an intangible product. Write anything, any story. There's that kind of subconscious working towards setting things up and then later paying them off. I just don't know that that could be done purely mechanically. Mm. And I've always railed against these screenwriting books, which purport to say, you know, if you follow these rules by page 20 yeah. this and by page yeah. 19, you have an inciting incident, escalating action, you know, secondary plot point, subplot. Well, it occurred to me, even if that's accurate, even if you can break down scripts into that, you could still write a script that follows each of those edicts, all of those instructions, beat by beat, word for word, and it could still be bad. It doesn't mean the story is going to be good. It just means it'll be properly structured. Yeah, a good structure, exactly. So there's the intangible. You think, oh, that's funny. Or, or you go, and, then, and that's not just funny, it's poignant. Right. It'll get a laugh, but it also sort of reflects a theme that we're trying. So how do you get a computer AI to yeah. say, okay, the theme of this thing is loneliness, an exploration of loneliness. Well, you know, maybe they'll get to a point where the machine is crying while it's writing. You know, you know, I just don't know. I think the audience would be crying, walking out of the theater saying, oh, yeah, that was a, that looked like it was a well-structured script, I'll tell you that much. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It wasn't funny, as, you know, but man, it was that structured really well. I mean, I don't think that it's possible. Will it eventually well, be possible? It, I don't know, because look, there's a scientist, and I wish I knew his name, he was on a recent... Uh, broadcast. And he Kendall said, Obama, Obama Harden? <laughs> yeah, Tanya Harden. <laughs> Tanya Harden, that's what <laughs> And uh, he said basically within, you know, 20 to 60 years, and it could be as early as 20, but more likely, you know, somewhere in there, a new, a new race is going to appear on earth. Like as if we'd been invaded from space, a new race will appear on this planet. And we have done nothing to prepare for it. 
Because once that singularity of AI is reached and these machines start waking and communicating and teaching each other, we're now living with an entire new race of beings, essentially connected and brought to life, sentience. And then that gets into religious issues of the soul. But sure. even if you got to that point where these machines are a new race of being, even if they can have the same awareness, like walk down the street and go, oh, that's, that's the, that's, they have good steak over there. And this is that place you went last year. And, you know, will they have a sense of peace versus upset versus, you know, will they be able to consider philosophy, <clears throat> not just from a standard of objective, very literal writings to that extra dimension of what it means as a human being, right? So when we can make machines that truly are human beings, yeah. Well, when is that going to happen? Well, well and along we, the way, are they just going to say, we're not human yet, but let's just destroy these other guys, they're, these ants that are running over this planet? Well, one thing we know about that from what you said is they're, they're carnivores because they eat steak. <laughs> so <laughs> there's going to be some kind of anger in them, I bet. So, yeah. You, you have a famous house. And it's, it's well known to a lot of people that your house has used a lot of movies. And some years since you've owned this house, your house has been in work more days of the year than you did. Have you been are you jealous of your house? No. In fact, I, here's what I'm jealous of. Yes. I, I, have, I don't have a real decorator's eye. I mean, like, like this is books. So these movie crews that, that film here, they come in and say, okay, take the furniture out, Harry. It's always Harry. It's always Harry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harry Jones. They put a set in. Yeah. And I go, that's amazing. That's how I want to <laughs> live. That's, I'd love to live in that place. <laughs> I really want to live there. And they say, well, I said, can, can, can I keep some of this? Can you, how much is this couch? $50,000 for the couch. <laughs> because it's a rental item stored right, in the right. warehouse, you know, popular movie prop company. Right, right. To actually recreate the set by taking it off their hands right, right. would cost half a million dollars. Oh, wow. you know? I think Ikea could help with that. <laughs> like just, uh, I want something like this. Give me a number and the house, how many books you have here. That was one of my earliest sort of weird flights into fantasy was I'd go to Sears. Yes. Like Ikea, they'd have rooms set up. Oh yeah. I like it. And I would just like it. And it I is. would just want to, I would try not to look at the store, but just the room and pretend it was my house. Oh, this and, before Lethal? <laughs> yeah. It's just when I was like seven. <laughs> okay. So a little bit before you did Lethal Weapon. Do you have an idea how many books you have in the house? If you had to put a number on it, would it be 5,000? Maybe 1,000? No, I think it'd probably be closer to 10,000. 10,000 books in your house. That's crazy. Yeah, but they're all the same book. The same book. Yeah. It's the same book. So you go from what, like one word for each page into the next book? You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, your house is also known to be haunted. Tell us about that. You've seen apparitions, have I, you? I've, I've I've seen something. Okay, something. But it's not been so convincing that afterwards I couldn't have someone talk me out of it. Okay. Like I said, well, maybe it was a trick of my eye. I saw someone walk by the window, some woman, and I turned to my friend and said, oh, look, who is that? Someone's here. Oh, I bet it's uh, so-and-so's girlfriend. Right, right, right. Of course, then we go inside, the house is empty. Yes. It wasn't so-and-so's girlfriend. And I saw enough of it and registered enough to turn to the person I was with and say, oh, look, who was that? Wow. So if you do that, it could be a trick of the eye, but it, it wasn't a passing trick of the eye. It was this, my mind clenched on with certainty the idea right. that there is someone here. Yes. I just saw them. With your own eye. Well, that's one other people. Well, there's, there was this British couple that came over one time. It was really obnoxious. I have a third floor, like an attic that yes. I use as a rec area. And they walked Movie upstairs, theater. and uh, and at one point I saw the woman, the wife, scowling. I said, what's it? 
Oh, I don't like it here. <laughs> this is, I just, I feel so many things, so many energies, so many presences. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, but you know, the ghost can't hurt you, right? I mean, it's probably it's probably a ghost that will just go away yeah. or it's a happy ghost. Benevolent. And she yeah. says, no, no, it feels no. very malevolent here. I'm like, fuck you, lady, you get to go home. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for leaving that here. Yeah. Yeah, home. I come to someone's house, you know what? This is a dangerous place. I bet there's spirits here that want to kill you. Yeah, exactly. They're certainly going to screw with your head and ruin your work. Hearing it from a British accent also uh, when they tell you, it yeah, also makes it scarier. I can't do the British no, accent. No, but I mean, just you hearing it from the other woman. Yeah, because you assign to them a level of scholarship with yeah, regard exactly. to anything, including yes. you know, ghost stuff. No matter what it is, they yeah. have that. They just sound that way. That's right. Was there another name for Lethal Weapon? When you first wrote it? I flirted with a number of titles. So originally I called it Street Lethal. Oh. Which was a term for a weapon that's been converted on the street. And I thought, that doesn't make any real sense. The word lethal. Yes. I got to keep it, no matter yeah. what. I considered other words. Right. <laughs> other letters. Other L's? No, come on. I mean, I think it's being the L, but... Um, uh, I just popped in my head. That was one that didn't really change. What about the one that... Didn't Joe borrow one from you? Oh, yeah. I, Joe the last Boy Scout, while I was writing, it was yes. called Die Hard. Yes, it was called Die Hard. And he was in the process of making that movie right after Lethal Weapon. Making Die Hard. Die Hard. He didn't Bruce have a title Willis. for it. Yeah, like he said, yeah, you take the title. I mean, it's not much of a prestige accomplishment. You know, I worked on Die Hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. No, I did Die Hard. That's what I did. And I said, don't separate them. <laughs> Just push one those word. together. They separate them. Yeah. Everything went downhill. In Predator, the movie Predator, that you were in with Schwarzenegger as Hawkins, did you improvise that joke in the helicopter? No, all those those were just jokes that I brought to the set that I'd heard. Yes. Um, so I didn't write the jokes. No, you, oh, that's what you heard it, so you, you know. I, I just said, what if this, you know, I don't think these are too well popularly known. Right. And I told them to the director, I said, what if he just tells these crazy jokes? It's his way of blowing off steam. Yeah. And he only tells them to the big guy, right, right, to right. Sonny Because he doesn't laugh. He doesn't like. He doesn't. Because the other guy will just stare at him. Right, right. And he's constantly <laughs> trying to nettle the guy. Right, right, right. And finally, he gets him to laugh. But that was like my entire contribution as an actor to that. Did you were the first killed or second killed? The first one killed. Yeah. But what a great movie! I mean, you, you still were in the movie for like twenty, like a half hour, forty five minutes. That's a everyone huge talks role. about. That's their favorite movie. movie. I was there every day, getting to see it being made, know yeah. everything about it. Yeah. So yeah, that's a gift. Yeah. To have something iconic that you were on the ground floor of. Sure. You know, I know that when someone says, you know, there's something in those trees, it ain't no man. You know, I know who, <laughs> the minute they called cut, had to run and, and with diarrhea. Go to the, yeah. <laughs> exactly, because you guys were having problems down there in Mexico yeah. when you were filming it, yeah. Well, the, the purification system in the hotel broke and they right. finally got around <laughs> to telling people about a week later. So. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <coughs> you are also very well known for the Shane Black Halloween parties. Do you miss the Halloween parties? <coughs> I Spot do Halloween. and I don't because, yeah. you know, I was always a drinker, not, you know, a weekend drinker, but, and the Halloween parties for the first time. You were a strong half, end drinker. Don't put it past yourself. They went fairly well. And, yeah. and there were, people say, oh, there was a naked people climbing trees. It's like, no, they weren't. They weren't climbing my, trees. My parents were at these parties. They yeah. didn't yeah. stay the whole time. Yeah. No, we had the whole, yeah, we had children here for eight o'clock when people were eating food. They're like, yeah, it was buffet collegiate yes. sort of, it was fun, but everyone equates it with this sort of debauchery. The, the extent to which it was debauched was the fact that I became more and more of a drinker. And then I moved on uh, as we crossed into the millennium, there was cocaine entered the picture. Hmm. So there's a period of time, yeah. you know, I was an active addict alcoholic, 
And so do I miss the parties? Sure. But I don't miss right. the later part where I was just- The ramifications. Lotto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I stopped drinking officially. It's been 15 years now. Wow. Uh, what is one of your current favorite musical uh, styles right now? I, I mean, let me, let me just say this. Big action writer, big director, yeah. Shane Black from Pittsburgh. What's your favorite musical? Where do I listen to? Yeah. Let's see. Um, when I work out or when I- Relax in the mm -hmm. gym or the garage. K-pop. K-pop. You heard that right. BTS. BTS is. They make me happy. <laughs> BTS. They just seem so fun and wholesome in a way that, in the same way that people say, "Let's make America great again." You know, it's a, right. You know, when was that? But I see these kids, and I think those kids are great. I wish kids are like that, and they dance and have fun and they're yes. crazy and sing yes. and they just bring an exuberance and a sort of exhilaration and I watch it, I smile. And there's not a lot these days that makes you want to, you know, walk around smiling all Like K-pop music, Shane Black, everybody, K-pop is his favorite music uh, style right now. Loves it. Uh, no, favorite no, movie, he will- When he sleeps, he plays. He has headphones out at night yeah. of K-pop and they wonder why he doesn't sleep very much. Uh, last question. Uh, current projects, uh, you, can you discuss anything that you're, you're, you have coming up? Yeah, I'm trying to do a crime picture. Um, don't want to say too much about it. But yeah, you know, keep it on the wraps. We have to film in Australia. Oh, you know, because Ananda. The, the currency exchange is just, for budget, it's, it's a real lifesaver. Um, I think a dollar US is worth a dollar fifty or something. That's about 50% more, and I'm not a ma mathematician. <laughs> But so I'll be going away for a bit. Hopefully, going to go bye bye. Unless, but look, I can't really say that because there's all these strikes. Yes, you know, yes. Who knows what's going to happen? And and also, can I just say by that, even if there is a strike, the fact that we're even poised to begin making something, it's it's such a blessing. I've watched oh, yeah. people come and go, and the fact that even having gone through an alcoholic phase, mm. how lucky can you get in terms of being viable after that many years? When you say Lethal Weapon, and that's your first movie. That's that's like play the oldies. But on you've done so no, because you've done so much. I know you do this, but you've done so much since then, and you've... right. But it's encompassed. That's the point. So much, and to still even be yes. viable with the yes. changing of an entire generation, the changing of likes and dislikes, the yes. advance of the internet, the fact that anyone even gives a crap what I have to say still, or is is a remarkable gift that I attribute to getting sober, and also yeah. sometimes you get what you need. I think I heard that before. Yeah, you know that you want things, but you don't know what's coming next. Like when you have a horrendous event in your life, like a breakup, you think there's no point. Right. You're right. saying that, but you don't know what's coming next. Yeah. You only know what just happened. That's true. That's true. And I think you should be doing a TV show also. And it could be a crime mm -hmm. action thing, but I think you need to have a third lead, a comic relief guy <laughs> right here. They'll say yes also in their comment section. Wait, who would that be? I, 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 I'm right here. I'm not the ghost. It's me. I'm, me. I'm, I'm you know. Rob McElhaney. <laughs> it's not bad. All right, fine. Have him instead of me. Hey, everybody. Shane Black with us. Thank you very much for watching the pod. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Pleasure. Cat, yes. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you for being on and everything you've done. Seriously. We, we really appreciate it. Cat will be here time again. listener. First, first time, time guest. First time guest. First time caller. All right. Thanks, everybody. Peace.